A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, listener. Welcome to episode 131 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website's 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me like a Hydra Spanner in the toolkit of any respectable spacer, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! A hydro spanner, which I guess means that I'm straddling a toilet or something? Hydro spanner? Something like that? I would hope not. Oh, man. Could you just imagine if Chewie had to clean out the toilet? Uh, well, then again, Han might have to clean up hairballs. <laughs> Laugh it up, furball. And no, hairballs, in that case, was referring to something that you might cough up. We were not saying anything X-rated <laughs> about Chewie. <laughs> oh, God. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. What does Chewie have between his legs? Questions that have bothered you a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we turn once again to you Beyonders. This week, your feedback is center stage. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Again, we have kind of a mixture of various topics this time around. We have one coming in here from David Broadway. It was actually originally directed uh, towards my email as opposed to the show's email, hence the way that it may be phrased here. Um, but it deals with something that we can both address, of course. It says, uh, Hi, Nathan. I listen to both Rebels Roundtable and your Beyond the Films podcast that you're part of. I also follow you on Facebook. I'm relieved, almost, that there is now Legends. I felt that I was drowning trying to even get into the EU. I do know the basic characters and have read a few books, Plagueis, Kenobi, and The Force Unleashed. I always wanted to get into more, though, but did not know where or how to even start. Now with Legends separated from future stories, I'm wondering if you will have on your site a nice neat little list that will, indeed, grow of the comics and books that follow the new timeline. I'm finding myself a little excited about the new era. It will give me, a fan since I was four in 1983, a chance to really bite into the expanded universe, knowing the critical parts of Legends and now being able to have the opportunity to keep up with the new content and characters. If a guru like yourself had a list of books and comics to read and in what order, that would help fans like me out a lot. Thanks for the podcast. This is my first time on your site, and I'm going to check it out. P.S. 
Hoth weather blew in yesterday, June 4th, and four inches of snow fell where I live. Dawson Creek, British Columbia, Canada. However, today is beautiful. David Broadway. Should I take this one since it's more directed at me for that question? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could just assume for you, but I think it better from the guru's mouth. Alright, well, uh, there's no intention for me at this point to do any kind of just general list of books, but for the Star Wars Timeline Gold, I'm creating a new document, a fourth document. Or I guess, no, now it's a fifth document. Holy crap. Uh, a fifth <laughs> document to go with that um, that 2,600-page or so total document. Um, that is the Story Group Canon Timeline. So there will be a new separate document for those who just want to follow the new stuff that'll be able to get summaries of it. And, of course, underneath you'll have the list of titles like the Star Wars Timeline Gold has had for all of them that'll go through and... And, you know, if you don't want to read the summaries, at least let you know what takes place when, where, uh, what crosses over with what, if there's anything odd about it, little notes underneath it. So you're kind of getting what you're looking for, but not just a dedicated list per se. The summaries and the event notices and stuff like that, all that is going to be in there as well. So basically the same process that's been used for the main official continuity document for years that is now the Legends timeline, StoryCan is going to get the same treatment. The next one is one that actually we answered via email very, very quickly but wanted to quickly address in case others had the same question. And because it's an oddity in that sense that we did reply sort of in between, there is a reply to our reply that probably deserves mention because it relates to sort of the way that podcasting groups tend to work. So we start out from uh, Lenny Lenape, Lenny, L-E-N-I-E in this case, says, Hey guys, love the podcast. I want to get into the EU, both of them. And I'd like to read some of the classics before the new books come out this fall. So I was wondering if you've got any recommendations for a good preview of the best books out there. I've heard Heir to the Empire, but do you recommend anything else? I know you're busy, so I understand you may not have time to reply, so don't worry about it if you can't. Many thanks, Lenny. We'll start there and then get his reply after we reply this time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just want to point out, to anybody out there listening, there is only one EU. Uh, moving forward, it's all going to be canon, unless it's Legends, which the EU became Legends. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to get into the Legends, the old EU, uh, I Jedi is a favorite book of mine. I love that one. Um, if you want to take some time with it and get even more bang out of it, get the Jedi Surge trilogy, read that first, and then go into I Jedi. The first half of I Jedi fits during that trilogy. But it's from another perspective that isn't offered in the books. So it's like reading that trilogy again with a whole new perspective. And then it moves forward from there. It was a, it was a fun ride. Uh, I really loved the way, uh, you know, Stackpole used the first person with Coran Horn. Uh, really enjoyed the character and where he went from there. Uh, the Rogue Squadron books are always a good one, a good set to get into. Uh, if you're wanting to jump into a really good ride and, and a fun, you know, shake up things. Uh, I always say New Generation. It's my favorite series. Uh, you know, it starts out with the bang with, uh, you know, a huge film death and it goes on. There's deaths galore. That was a series that mattered. It was like, you know, ground shaking, planet altering series. I mean, you know, Coruscant got moved. They destroyed one of the planets, created a rainbow bridge. All this crazy stuff was going on in that series. And, you know, granted, when I read that series, it was at the time the books were coming out. So it was like, you know, this was this was the pulse, man. This was what was going on with Luke Skywalker. You know, we're about to have a new, you know, films and stuff to kind of give us a whole new Luke. But at the time, this was it. And this was the dark journey that Luke went on. And this was Luke rising to 
the position of Grand Master of the Order and all the struggles that kind of went from there. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still, after New Jedi Order, the stories aren't as good for me, but what they did for Luke's character moving forward, I, from New Jedi Order on, is still one of my favorite eras, even though some of the later books like Dark Nest and, and moving forward, I didn't quite enjoy as much as I did New Jedi Order. The New Jedi Order tone that sets things forward and Leia being a Jedi and things like that, Oh, it, it was awesome. Um, you know, the second generation characters finally getting to kind of have a role. You know, they didn't get the handoff that they were always promised, but they got to play a prominent role. And that to me was something that I just absolutely loved about that series. Uh, and if you're into something more, you know, old, archaic and Sith like, I would go with the Darth Bane trilogy. Uh, you know, that's kind of cool. Go back in the past and get a little Sith action. Uh, and then if you're into zombies and stuff, there's Red Harvest and Death Troopers, which I, I also enjoyed for what they were. Yeah, I would say if you're trying to get into the Legends continuity, then probably, it depends. Are you looking for post-Return of the Jedi or, you know, prequel era type stuff? Uh, post-Return of the Jedi, Thrawn Trilogy, Jedi Academy Trilogy, what he referred to as the Jedi Search Trilogy, because Jedi Search is the first book in it. Um, the Dark Empire comics and the Hand of Thrawn duology. That gives you some of the most momentous and best stuff within that uh, first couple of decades after the events of the classic trilogy. Um uh, I personally find that my favorite comic series is Legacy, and my favorite novel series was Legacy of the Force. But both of those kind of require a background in the New Jedi Order, which is enormous, 19 books plus some tie-in stuff. Um, and I'm not sure that New Jedi Order should be read prior to reading stuff like the Thrawn trilogy, Dark Empire, and such, because of how foundational those things were. Uh, if you're looking for the prequel era, the Darth Plagueis novel is an absolute must. Uh, as he said, the Darth Bane books are pretty good. Uh, and if you want Good Star Wars stuff that's set either in the far future or far past that aren't as directly connected to the rest of it, then I would say Tales of the Jedi, Knights of the Old Republic, the comics or the games, uh, and, again, barring needing to know at least a little bit about uh, the New Jedi Order Legacy, uh, Legacy Volume 1 is a particularly good series. Still not as, as big on Anya Solo and Legacy Volume 2, though it is going in a positive direction at this point. Now, he responded to us giving some of that advice via email, saying, Thank you for your time. I can't tell you how many times I've emailed a podcast team and have never gotten response. So it's nice to see that at least one of the podcasts I listen to cares to respond to their emails. As a side note for me, it's very interesting to listen to you and all the EU fan reactions over the Switch. But for me, as a big Movies and Clone Wars fan, I worry most about Disney's more kid-focused audience. Will the new EU books and Rebels be more kid-focused? When I saw the Rebels trailer, I have to say I wasn't too comforted by the trailer. It felt a little more childish, and the Stormtrooper designs didn't really help either. But we'll see. Thanks again, Lenny. Well, Lenny, one of the things we like to do, and and I think it's been apparent with the last 10 episodes especially, is, you know, kind of see where the pulse is at on fandom. Uh, you know, I mean, I and Nathan both are a particular style of fan, and we recognize that ours is not you know, the majority of the viewpoints out there. But just because we don't have that opinion doesn't mean we can't express that opinion. And that's something that, you know, we're allowing and, and offering by getting, you know, these type of emails, you know, these feedback episodes, having you guys come in and, and share with us what you love, uh, your questions and your concerns and all that stuff. And and I find for me, you know, it, it's it's fun because I enjoy this show because Nathan, you know, you you've been one of those fans that, 
I've kind of looked up to, you know, throughout my fandom. You know, you were the fan that made it, you know. They always said, don't contact us, we'll contact you. Because I remember on the forum boards, everybody had fan fiction. Everybody wanted to be wrote, you know. And it was one of those, don't talk to us, we'll contact you. And Nathan actually got there, you know. And to be able to, you know, talk with you and and, kind of, you know, get your feel for things has been something that's been, you know, cherished for me. And when we get email and stuff that gets me and you both talking about things that we hadn't thought about, you know, like like uh, Yoda sending Anakin to follow Palpatine because they're not trusting him and things like that. It's really fun to be able to sit here with you and, and kind of ponder it because, you know, we're the same age. Uh, we have a lot of like views and yet there are also a lot of differences. And so, you know, I, I've been one of those type of people that I, I – I don't always close down when I come across someone that thinks totally different from me. I actually get more engaged and our show allows my pondering to kind of go into overdrive. I mean, yeah, I get a lot of people telling me, you know, I overthink things, but that's part of me. That's my nature. I do overthink things. It's that's part of my personality that I can't stop even when I try to. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I directed at Star Wars because I tell you, man, it's a lot easier to focus on Star Wars than it is the women in your life because one will get you killed. Uh, so, you know, I, I like being able to, you know, ask the fans what's going on, get your guys' opinion on things, you know, bounce it off of my own thoughts and stuff like that. A lot of the ponders and stuff on the page are just random things that I was thinking about that day. And, and just engaging you fans has been, has been so eye opening and, and helps me, you know, embrace the changes that are coming. I, I've, I've seen some fans that, that have reacted to things the way I thought I would react to things. I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I've been very positive about the changes coming down and I, I don't feel like I've been very positive about it. I, I'm being hopeful, <laughs> but apparently it's working. I mean, I, I, I try to be the more lighter side on our show, uh, you know, but Again, getting back to, you know, we, we also try to stay honest and, you know, give us your honest feelings. We'll give you our honest feedback. Yeah, to the whole Disney kids thing, um, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, I've heard that the new Avengers cartoon is pretty awful and how kid-centric it's been and how it just kind of throws ideas and just kind of just splatters them against the wall. It just goes with whatever sticks, even if it's sliding down the wall like who. Um, but given the way that Disney has handled the Marvel films, Given J.J. Abrams and his handling of uh, Star Trek, I've really enjoyed the last couple of Trek films. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic about Disney's handling of the saga from here forward. I mean, we'll see. We haven't really seen anything of their stuff yet, but you know, we'll we'll see where it winds up going. Um, as to the feedback stuff, uh, we can never get to absolutely everything, though we try. Um, that's why I like Facebook, especially because we're able to have that kind of interaction there, and it's a little bit more immediate and conversational and such. Um, yeah, it's been one of those things that has just been, you know, enjoyable throughout my time in, in Phantom M podcasting and such. It's fun to have that interaction to know when we're doing right, when we're doing wrong, what works, what doesn't, uh, to be able to give a voice to those who might feel as though their voices aren't usually heard in a lot of ways, give a broader audience to those voices out there within the, uh, the listening audience. There was actually a point at which I had a podcast that was designed supposedly to do that, but it only lasted two episodes before the whole friggin' thing fell apart. Uh, called Other Voices, where we had people basically, a kind of news media format where we have someone act as a host and introduce segments, and the segments would be submitted by people who weren't doing podcasts of their own, who were just interested in a particular topic and getting their view out about it. It's one of the first podcasts that I know of that ever took a look at the idea of of being a gay Star Wars fan. We had an audience member uh, who was a gay man, who was also a Star Wars fan, uh, who then addressed some issues that maybe we hadn't thought about before on that show. So I always like the idea of getting other concepts in here 
I think the intellectual honesty thing, in a, in a lot of ways, plays a role in us using so much feedback as well. We want to have our ideas challenged, but at the same time, we expect those who write in to recognize that they're going to be challenged right back. Uh, John B. from the previous episode, I think, is probably feeling that right now. Um, he wrote in some stuff challenging our perceptions on some of the Clone War stuff, and we responded back, especially me, in a more challenging sort of way, because I think that's where you get the constructive criticism, or you get the constructive ideas from. It's kind of like what what's so wrong about politics in the U.S. right now, where both sides feel entrenched in their ideas. It's supposed to be you have two major parties so that they can both band, you know, kind of bandy ideas back and forth, and in trying to tear apart the bad parts of the other side's ideas, you come to a point where there are things that are good that you can agree with on both sides and actually get stuff done. Not so much as much right now in D.C. Um, but I think in a sense that's what we try to do with the conversations here. You know, expect to be challenged, challenge us, and it makes for good podcasting, it makes for fun listening, but it also hopefully uh, brings this podcast to a level of discussion, intellectual honesty perhaps, and uh, and depth to the discussion, I guess, um, that a lot of times we don't necessarily see in podcasts that focus just on their own narrow viewpoint, who aren't willing to listen to other sides, and who instead deride other fans when they don't happen to agree. There are plenty of those out there, thankfully not nearly as many as those that are open-minded, but we try to be that latter category. You know, and as for the Disney side of things, I think we're going to see a lot more like Phineas and Ferb Star Wars special uh, you know, you have the Big Bang Theory. They did their Star Wars one. Uh, I, I think you're going to see more themed episodes of other shows. Maybe down the road, maybe we'll see something like what they did with Avengers where we get like, like maybe detours, you know, something that specifically this is aimed just for kids. Uh, but I'm not that concerned about it. I mean, I do see a lot of people out there that are worried about it, but I, I don't know. With my kids being the ages they are, we watch a lot of Disney films and, and stuff like that. And I find that while, yeah, you know, you have some dummy down moments and stuff, most kids Disney films provide entertainment for everyone. I mean, there's humor in there for adults. Sometimes there's even risque humor that, that's over the little kids' heads. But as an adult, you're like, well, can we put that in there? Uh, but, I don't know. I'm not one of those that was worried about it. Disney's provided me with hours of enjoyment and their, you know, their big theme has been making magic for families. And I think that, you know, they also recognize the fact that Star Wars is, you know, transgenerational and that just because it was aimed originally at nine year olds and six year olds and stuff like that, that, that those nine year olds and six year olds are now 36, 46, 56 and so on. And, you know, now we're at that point where, you know, we still want it. We still want that feeling. We want to be, you know, captured right along with the little kids. And we've grown up with Star Wars and we want our Star Wars to grow up with us as well. But we also don't want it to lose that edge. And I think Disney is very aware of that going in. Um, but, you know, I, I get where the fear and the trepidation comes from. But I'm just of the opinion that I, I think we're in good hands. Um, and I... You know, and I know it always sounds really bad when I say it. I love Lucas, but I think we're in better hands now than we were with Lucas. Um, you know, getting back to last issue where we were talking about how, you know, the guy can overwrite his own movies and overlook, you know, things that happen in there. And, you know, maybe I'm putting an unabsurd amount of faith into the story group and in Leland Chi and Pablo Hidalgo, but those two names specifically are names that in my fandom come with an attention to detail 
that is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Uh, you know, there are very few out there that, that, that derive that feeling for me as she and Pablo do. I mean, knowing that they're there, I, I take solace in that. Knowing that Disney has the money that Lucas had, if not more money, to throw at any problem that comes their way, I, I feel like we're in a good place. This brings us to an email from Scott Johnson, who says, Gentlemen, quite an entertaining pair of canon feedback episodes. Shame on those pesky trollers. I've always been amazed by how much criticism we EU guys and gals seem to get by a sour few of the film purists. It's why I've tended to shy away from the fan message and comment board, particularly the Force.net, which I found to be very critical of the EU in recent years. To share my view, I'm content with the call the story group made. It's about what I expected. I hope we see more Legends Tales at some point in the future. Maybe it will be resurrected by some retro craze ten years or so down the road. In the meantime, I look forward to Rebels, and I'll check out the new line of novels, although the titles seem somewhat generic and unoriginal to me. Hopefully the plot lines are more creative. The news that Dark Horse lost the license was far worse for me. I feel they've always strived to produce quality stories, and will be sad to see them discontinue their contributions to the saga. However, I wondered about the possibility of publishing two simultaneous Star Wars lines. Why not allow Dark Horse to continue the Legends storyline, while Marvel does their thing with the new canon EU? Perhaps it would be too confusing to the fans, even with a Legends banner. Or maybe having two market players would dilute sales to the point where it wouldn't make business sense. It would, however, provide some small relief for those hoping for more legend stories. All the best, Scott. Hey, Scott, thank you for all that. Uh, you know, comment boards, I, I feel you 100%. Um, I haven't really been back to any forums uh, since the announcement of the, uh, of the sequel trilogy. I think, you know, I, I've gone back to EU Cantina once or twice. I, I used to be the... Uh, the moderator there, but I've kind of stepped back from that role. The boards there for a while were really dead. And, you know, I found most of the forums, you typically now have just a select diehard few that, you know, this is their stomping ground and they're staying there. Uh, some have more individuals there than others. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, that, that to me, I think Facebook and Twitter have kind of just established themselves as the place for fandom. And, you know, those forums, that's now more where you get those certain, died in the wool this is how star wars is because this is how i see it places and you're going to get more like-minded individuals so i see that there's a need for them like if you want to go around fans that just dig what you're digging but i think for me for my fandom i i've kind of stepped away from that i i don't want to surround myself by yes men in a sense and and having people that only agree with my outlook on star wars uh because again you know getting back to force philosophy thread and stuff i mean I, we were always challenging ourselves and, and, and part of our theories, that's how they grew was by, by, you know, well, this is what I'm thinking. And, and this is what I, how it replies to this book and that comic and this movie and, you know, someone else's point of view challenging that. And then you would take what they challenge and you would address it and you would, well, how does that work? You know, and move forward. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I see that, that there's an aspect of it, you know, for that community where, you know, sometimes you need for that fellowship, but. Now I'm at that more of that place where I want to see what everyone else is thinking, kind of get my feel on that pulse of the fandom. And Facebook and Twitter have kind of become more of that quick, fast reactions and stuff. Plus, there's the other side of it. It's like, you know, once something comes up on Twitter and stuff, it's a little harder to find again, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the, the forum boards, it's kind of like permanent. You can go right back and just attack somebody over and over again. I, I, I found a lot of that. You know, you get trolled by one or two individuals where they're just picking apart the way you said something, you know, because the way you said it, you know, like, oh, that would just drive me up a wall. Uh, you know, you mentioned Dark Horse, that being a large hit. I, I feel you there. You have a great idea, one that I thought myself, uh, you know, Dark Horse should have been allowed to continue Legends. That would have been a great thing they could have done. And they could have done like what they're doing with uh, the Clone Wars and wrapped up some stories and and let it be Dark Horse's duty to wrap up stories from books and stuff that never got completion. You know, what's going on with Jaden Core? Perfect thing. Boom, put it in there. You know, <laughs> I, I'd love to know about that. Hondo Carr, hey, we still need to know about him. Uh, and satisfactory conclusion for Invasion, uh, let's have a real one, please. You know, things like that. I would love to see them do that. And... Having them parallel to Marvel while they're putting out their stuff, I think that that would have added clarification and wouldn't have been so confusing to the fans. And let's just take a moment here and have me give a side rant. Confusing to the fans. Can I say how much I hate that phrase and the idea that we are just so stupid as fans that we need to have things dummy-proofed for us? What? We can't have Anakin and Anakin Solo? Because we're not going to know we're talking about Anakin Solo in this book? Okay, I don't know. To me, if that was the problem, then why did we have Clone Wars and turn around and have the Clone Wars? Why did we have Anakin and Alpha and, you know, all these other characters with A's? Oh, wait, we can't have Alpha because we have Ahsoka and R2 and Anakin. Well, you brought Ahsoka in. Why couldn't you call her Basoka or something? Why did she have to be an A? You know, stupid little things like that. It, it just... That's what's confusing to the fans, and I'm glad we're moving beyond that. But, you know, I mentioned it at the beginning of last episode. We've got the Imperial Handbook coming out, and, and there's potential that it's going to fall into the Legends continuity. And, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful. You know, hey, maybe Legends will continue, but people will go, well, that'll just confuse the fans. And I'm like, well, wouldn't continuing this book and putting it in Legends in general be confusing to the fans? Because they announced this book after they said that Sword of the Jedi was put on hold. So if you're going to put anything in Legends, why not give us Sword of the Jedi? I mean, I, I don't see how it's confusing to fans anymore. You flat out told us that Legends is one continuity and the movies are another. So if we get a book about Sword of the Jedi, about Jaina Solo, obviously it's not going to be the same Jaina Solo that we're going to be getting in the films, if we get it, if that rumor is true. But, I don't know. I just cannot stand that too confusing to fans as the excuse. I, I don't think that we're that stupid. I think that that them thinking that we're that stupid may be part of the problem we're having with how things are marketed. Let's see, uh, we're winding back to the first uh, things he was getting into about the whole issue of uh, the, the film purist attacks and stuff like that, and, and uh, avoiding the message boards, comment boards, and such. Uh, I kind of do the same thing. I avoid those for the most part. In fact, I think the only forums that I'm really active on on a regular basis anymore are the ones for Defiance. And that's because it's a game that's fun, I enjoy it, there's clan mates on there and such, but at the same time, there are questions that sometimes need to be asked and answered whenever they put out a patch that has an issue. Heck, they put out a patch uh, that made it free-to-play on PCs and opened up the door to free-to-play stuff in July for uh, the consoles, and they had to do, what, seven patches after that before everything was working the way it was supposed to be working? Uh, seven patches in the span of, like, a week? So I go on there just to keep up with that. But when it comes to discussions and such, I pretty much avoid the forums anymore, and I more or less just go to places like Facebook. Uh, I don't even go on Twitter as much anymore unless I'm grabbing it on my iPad, because I don't like the way the interface works on uh, PC, just on the regular website. 
Um, so most of the stuff I do at this point, it's, it's Facebook interactions and whatnot. Uh, as far as the idea of having two different comic lines going at the same time, one Legends, one not, I think, well, it comes down to two things. Just from a logic standpoint, I think that when they're, Mark's right in that saying things are conf too confusing to fans, a lot of times they're trying to make it dummy proof and they make decisions that are just kind of dumb that make it look like we're all idiots, like the Anakin Solo, Anakin Skywalker thing. But there is something to be said for the fact that not all Star Wars fans are heavily into the Expanded Universe stuff, Legend stuff, slash whatever, um, and not all pay nearly as much attention to things. I mean, we are always reminded of how those who read the novels, comics, play the video games, and so forth, are a small fraction of overall Star Wars film fandom that is absolutely gigantic. So I could see where you can make the argument that there might be some confusion if you have two different companies producing Star Wars comics, even if one is called Legends, because they might think that Legends is a series name like Legacy of the Force or New Jedi Order, and there may still be a little bit of that casual fans trying to enter into the saga who get confused. Although, again, nowadays there's not really much excuse to be confused for long because we have, you know, the internet. Look stuff up. Um, I think part of why they wouldn't want to do that and why they're trying to sort of keep the new Legends stuff relatively small, like just the continuing the old Republic MMO and stuff like that, maybe the Fantasy Flight game stuff, presumably, um, is the fact that they are trying to come out and make this public line saying, it is all going to be canon now. Well, if you're going to say it's all going to be canon now, you don't want to have a lot of new stuff coming that's not tied into something previous that isn't part of that new canon, because you're sort of, you're, you're sort of avoiding the issue. It's kind of like back whenever in 1991 they said, Everything will now fit in this official continuity, which we now know as Legends, but very, very quickly the Jedi Prince series was tossed out the window because it contradicted Courtship of Princess Leia, and back then it was a list of books that are in, a list of books that are out. It wasn't about elements in the continuity database or anything. So it's sort of a, wait a second, you said this is all supposed to fit, but am I supposed to read The Glove of Darth Vader and the sequels to that? Because now you're saying that's not part of it. How is it all supposed to fit if it's not all fitting? What's your deal? You kind of run into that same type of issue all over again. We probably will, at least for a little while, but I would like to think that just having the one line is going to make it easier for fans, both old and new, to be able to deal with it. But from a, a, a realistic perspective, a business perspective, though, generally with the licensing, when it comes to, to franchises like this, licensing tends to be for one company only. It has to be profitable enough for a company to buy into licensing, and part of getting them to be interested in that deal is to make it exclusive. Um, but that can change depending on the media. Like, for instance, um, LA Times Newspaper Syndicate back in the 80s wasn't allowed to produce Star Wars comic books, but they can make Star Wars comic strips. Whereas Marvel got to make comic books, but didn't do comic strips in newspapers and such. Um, there's a big issue right now. People are clamoring to get copies, uh, digital copies, of things like the Edge of the Empire core rulebook from Fantasy Flight Games saying, well, wait a second, Wizards of the Coast had all kinds of online supplements and stuff, but it's, except for a few freebie bonus items, Fantasy Flight Games is not putting out its RPG stuff in PDF form or anything. Is it just because they don't want to wind up having people bootleg it or something? No. Because EA has the rights to Star Wars digital game content, and it's Del Rey that publishes the eBooks and such, um... 
apparently, somewhere within the contract, and I'm not sure exactly how the clause is worded, uh, Fantasy Flight Games is not allowed to take their original for-profit materials, like the Edge of the Empire rulebook or Beyond the Rim or whatever, and produce it as PDF ebook versions of the same thing. They don't have the rights to do it as part of their licensing agreement. Um, it's I think it's tied into the fact that that's considered game materials, which falls under EA, if I'm understanding it correctly. But it's been a while since I've looked into it, uh, certainly not before uh, we got on started recording this episode. Um, so it really, the license is going to go to one company or another. And, I mean, you can still make the argument maybe Marvel should produce something that fits Legends and fits the new stuff. But having two companies both producing Star Wars comics simultaneously, even if it's not trouble for... Old readers, it may be an issue for new readers, and from a business standpoint, it was just not going to happen. Uh, they're not going to split up their contract exclusivity that way. It's just not something that tends to be done with franchises all that much these days. Well, and yet, you know, with Avengers, though, you've got something similar. I mean, that, that's one side of things where, where I know me and you are probably going to disagree, because I can't stand the fact that they're limiting themselves in, in certain regards only on certain formats. I mean, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You can use the word mutant all day in that franchise, but heaven forbid Agents of Shield use the word mutant to establish a guy with powers. I uh, to me there's there's some Yeah, but that, some that's 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 a, that that's a false comparison. That is a false comparison. The fact that they use mutant in Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles has nothing to do with Marvel Comics. Yeah, in Marvel Comics shouldn't have to do anything in with In Marvel though. Comics rights, the X-Men and mutant related stories, those rights are in the hands of Fox. And the rights to the Avengers and that sort of thing, uh, all going back to where the original source material was, those rights are with Marvel Studios. So they don't use the word mutant so as not to step on the toes of Fox, but it's because that is a shared universe and they don't want to step on it because that's the licensing that goes to somebody else. There's no connection between Marvel and Ninja Turtles and the word mutant. I'm just saying in general, though. I mean, I, now you've got characters like Quicksilver that's in both because they were in both. Parker is, I mean, Parker even has been an X-Men and an Avenger. I mean, it, it's just, that's where I get frustrated because it's like, from the consumer side of things, those restrictions don't apply. But to create more new stuff, well, we got this and that. I mean, to me, it's like the word mutant should be able to be used. I, it, it, that, I don't know, nothing about that is synonymous with x-men only i mean i that's where i have that disconnect i just to me it seems like these rules and limitations because it's worded just cause issue i mean i get yeah it, cost, it costs the company money if they don't limit off of it or make it off of it but i don't know it gets like with her universe like me and you couldn't start a star wars company right now but you know she was able to because of where she was positioned within the company i mean sometimes it's all about who you know not about you know who's writing up the contract like official picks being you know, a business-making venture that actually, if I remember, it spun out of the Force.net. They had the connections at the time, and it developed into that. Um, all right, next one uh, from Hans. Hans says, "Hey, Mark and Nate. First off, hope things are going better for both of your misses. It's misses, I believe, is the plural, and that's how he wrote it. But heck, if I know how to pronounce it. So, uh, for both of our misses, uh, thoughts of positivity. A new word." Uh, go to the PNW and the Dirty South for you guys. Uh, PNW, I'm assuming, is Pacific Northwest, Mark? Yep. Okay, just making sure. Uh, thanks again for all your hard work and dedication to what seems like everything Star Wars that is beyond the films. Second, I am so far behind on your podcast. I wanted to finish the Coruscant Knights trilogy before undertaking any new reading projects, hence the Vector episodes. I had to finish Coruscant Knights before reading those 12 comics. 
I recall buying those comics when they came out and waiting to have them all to read together. Didn't happen. Fast forward to now. I decided to read them before and during your episodes. Finally killed Coruscant Knights, minus the fourth book. I read Vector and listened to your podcast and am still 12 episodes behind. At least now there's no reading that's going to impede that. Nathan, I have to agree with you on the middle of Vector. That and the series Darth Vader and the lack of plot, he puts it in quotes because that's what we called it, are the only Star Wars comics I have read that are really horrible. I've not read anywhere near the amount that is out there like you, but I have read all the Bobas and Mauls, Django and Zam also. If it has a Sith Lord or Bounty Hunter, I most likely have. On one of your recent tweets regarding the name Cora uh, Moraband, it made me appreciate your show much more than before. It seems you do not listen to every other Star Wars podcast, of which there are so many that it's not really possible. I really like the fact you don't listen to RFR, that's uh, Rebel Force Radio, the team formerly behind the uh, original Force cast. I know you'll not regurgitate their info or have your views skewed one way or the other. The difference between the shows is almost perfect. You guys cover what got me into Star Wars, and it was not the films. I get all the gritty stuff that's not in the movies, comics and books, mostly. Hopefully in the future, since EA just dropped the new vid, video games will arrive as well. Looking forward to the new show that you guys are doing with the Republic Forces, guys. Just one thing, Mark. Was Whistler not invited to go to this show? I mean, bro. Chopper might be the sleeper character of the new show. Whistler could be helpful. Just saying. <laughs> Thanks again, Hans. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, Whistler, I actually, at the time, I was uh, up at a my parents' house, so Whistler wasn't with me that day. He got left behind. Somebody had to stay and, and you know, hold the, hold the fort, kind of like how 3PO gets left in the Falcon every now and again. So I was like, dude, watch the studio, make sure nobody comes in here, and if they do, zap them, zap them hard, aim for the uh, fur balls. Um, you know, just real quick though, you know, talk about the, the wife's, uh, you know, Nathan, I know your wife is still going through some stuff. My wife, uh, tomorrow, in fact, at the time we're recording this, uh, is going to go in for uh surgery, a, a his, uh, hysterectomy. It's not like a hysterectomy per se, but close to it. They found, uh, what they think may be a tumor in one of her ovaries. Uh, so she's getting that removed and apparently it's like softball or baseball size. Uh, pretty big is causing her some some very bad discomfort so we got that coming up and then we're in the process of moving you know which I, i've been sharing a couple pictures on our facebook page and stuff because i'm gearing up to start tearing the studio down and boxing it up kind of waiting to the last moment we're putting in our 30-day notice on the first uh we should find out about the house that, that i pray to the maker to gods everywhere out there you know any kind of good positivity i need it right now because this one house would be perfect for my family and we're in the running with like three other people we should find out today or tomorrow the guy said uh so we're just you know fingers crossed and and everything we can do there you know we're trying because right in this area right now finding houses is such a pain and this one is it's you know, just enough bedrooms for all my kids, and it's got a basement that is big enough for everything I would need to put in storage, plus my studio. And there's another shed out in the back for all my tools and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's the same price as all these three bedrooms that I'm finding. So we're super excited. We're really hoping that kind of falls into place. So, you know, I'm going to have in the next month, it's going to be really chaotic because I'm going to be packing up, moving stuff, and, you know, keeping the show going forward is, is part of my goals you know and you mentioned being behind on the podcast which tells me i'm doing my job then you know i always feel like i'm i'm behind so being ahead is good you know one of, one of our goals on the show is to put out an episode every single week uh while we have put out enough content to cover that we did take one week off uh the week aaron alston passed away uh we managed to uh 
have some issues going on in the editing thing that we just decided, you know, this would be a perfect time to, to, you know, take a break and acknowledge Aaron's passing. And so we had that, but we've more than made up for that lost week in other episodes and stuff. And we're kind of doing that, like with this episode, breaking it in two and trying to put in two episodes out in one week versus, you know, saving it for another week uh, to try to kind of get our, our output out there. So that too is something that we're trying to do. And, and, you know, you mentioned other podcasts and stuff. One of the reasons why I do the Star Wars report is because I love the fact that we, we just, you know, cover all these different angles. And Riley, he's more into actors and stuff like that and knows aspects of it that it's not something that's my, my, you know, breeding ground. My ground is the books and comics and stuff. So I get that aspect of the all encompassing with the Star Wars report, but I always felt like I needed something more, you know, along the lines of my passions. And that's why me and Nathan started this because this was, you know, what we wanted to do. We wanted to be able to, you know, look at the EU, look at everything Star Wars and kind of just ponder things and, and, you know, get the discussion going and get it moving and stuff. And, you know, I mean, Moraband is a prime example. I mean, there were so many ways that, that people could have looked at it. And, you know, I mean, I, I think it's, it's fun when, you know, we get these little hiccups that we got from Lucas and fandom immediately has like four or five retcons as to how this could work within Legends. Uh, so that, that's another aspect of, of the fandom that I love, which, you know, being able to podcast like this gets me out there and, and interacting with fandom in a way that I wasn't really doing when I was on the, the forum boards and stuff. I mean, you know, you, on the forum boards, you just associate with a, a small few, but once you're out there, you know, on the Twitter and doing the Facebook action and, and interacting as the podcast, you start interacting with people that you probably never would have met anywhere else. Uh, so that's been really cool getting to meet all these interesting individuals and checking out your guys' collections and finding out what you guys are into and stuff. And, and you can't go wrong with Sith and Bounty Hunters, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, not listening to other podcasts, as he mentions there, it's not so much a matter of not wanting to in many cases. It's just really a matter of time. A lot of times Amen. if I'm listening to anything that's audio, it's either an audio book or, or talk radio type stuff to keep up with current events for when I'm teaching and such. I'm still in the process right now of listening back to the old uh, Patriots history of the United States for the second time through. And in the car, aside from music, I've got the Shakespeare Star Wars stuff that I'm listening to. Because that works really, really well as an audio drama. Uh, better, I think, than just seeing it uh, on the page and everything. So it, we're not really being influenced by the opinions of, of other pages or sites or podcasts or anything. Mainly just because there's not enough time. Although, I would hope that even if we did listen to a lot of them it wouldn't be coloring our opinions if we could still say, you know, with certainty that we're being honest to our actual perspective. Though it might give us a chance to talk about other perspectives a little more often before they come up in email. But then, where would the feedback episodes come from? As for my wife, uh, we actually just celebrated, yesterday as of the time we're recording this, on June 16th, we just celebrated our first wedding anniversary. It has certainly been a trying year from a health and financial standpoint. Um, she's getting better she has another major procedure coming up, uh, gastrointestinal and that sort of procedure coming up on the 24th of June. And then she's got a follow-up checkup type appointment that'll be going on on the 2nd of July. Um, so we're not totally out of it all yet, but it's certainly getting better. Um, it doesn't seem like there's anything going on that is still life-threatening per se, or at least if so, it's such a distinct, uh, distant possibility that it's not something to be worried about on a daily basis. I mean, she still can't eat meat at this point, and we're still dealing with all the medical bill stuff um, hanging over our heads. And if you want to donate to help us out, again, it's uh, I just PayPal Nathan at StarWarsFanWars.com. You guys have been incredible in that regard. Um, but it is getting better. So we're hoping that the second year of marriage, from that standpoint, will be just as good 
as the interpersonal part of it, that the health and the money situation will get better to go along with everything else. His marriage has been a blast. All right, next one comes in uh, from Nicholas. Nicholas says, Hello, Mark and Nathan. I recently stumbled over the podcast and find the discussion about the new canon especially interesting. So here's my thoughts on this. First thing that I don't understand, why they haven't set the new films after 44 to 45 ABY, where the EU can act as a bridge, and then with that 80-year gap, that is between that, presumably, and uh, Legacy, I believe he's getting into, they have enough free space to tell their stories and aren't too restricted. The second thing is that I wonder if the technical cohesion, for example, how strong a ship is in comparison to others and what a technology can and can't do, I wonder if that's going to be eroded, like in Clone Wars, because this new canon doesn't have guidelines like a technical source book, and the audience, naturally, doesn't have an eye towards that, and we wonder if the authors or the story group have an eye on those issues. Greetings from Germany, and may the Force be with you. Nicholas. You going to take this first? Yeah, go for it. Well, as far as the whole idea of trying to make it so that they fit into a gap that wouldn't be as affected, even if they had, they'd still be in a situation where they would just be assuming that the audience would have to know certain things or at least certain concepts from the gap filled by all those books and novels. Um, there's a whole issue that we talked about before. What were their options when trying to create the films? And if you add in the stuff uh, that Andrew Gilbertson brought up, they could either have not made any sequel films at all, new films at all, uh, which they weren't going to do as soon as Disney acquired the license. That's the biggest money-making part of it. Um, they could have made them in an era that is so far flung that it doesn't need to reference or be connected to or contradict anything previously existing in stories, but that would pretty much mean not being able to tell the stories they want and also not being able to use the pre-existing characters from the other films or the Clone Wars as much. Uh, or they could have said, we're going to make it fit continuity, which requires people to know all that backstory, which they weren't going to do because a big chunk of the film viewing audience, the majority of the film viewing audience, won't have read anything from Legends probably before. Uh, or... They could use it as a wrecking ball and smash through things like the Clone Wars did and just say, well, we'll fix it later. Or they could have separated it into two continuities, the legend stuff and then this new canon that they're developing. Uh, they took the one that basically was the most film viewer friendly. It may not have been the nicest thing for EU fans because it would have been nice to see that acknowledged and have films tying into it or even based on it, perhaps. But that was unlikely to happen. And... Again, we are not a giant part of that audience. I mean, there's a lot of Star Wars readers out there, but relative to those who would go see a new Star Wars movie, we are nothing. We're a teeny, teeny fraction. Uh, hence them not going in that route. Um, but I am with you on the idea that you got to wonder what's going to happen as far as the nitpicky details. You know, um, a lot of Star Wars as we know it is now up in the air, including things like Vehicle stats, names of vehicles, names of characters. I mean, the, the argument could be made, well, wait a second. Lucas can now go back, or Disney, can now go back to the cantina and rename all the characters. Not just give them new backgrounds, but rename just about all the characters because most of the names came from the EU or from Kenner when creating the action figures. Maybe that hammerhead isn't an Ithorian anymore and that species name doesn't exist anymore. Maybe that hammerhead isn't Moma Nadon. Maybe he's a completely different character now. We don't know. Uh, and that goes the same for what about this class of ship? What about what this ship can do compared to another one? Maybe TIE fighters have shields, but their shields suck. Which is why they're usually blown out of uh, space before X-Wings tend to be. Uh, maybe, I mean, heck, for all we know, 
they could go and change a lot of stats and such for them just to make them fit whatever J.J. Abrams wants to do with Starfighter combat in Episode 7. No, we just don't know. Um, all of that is gone from this new canon. It's not just stories. It's the technical information, too, which is something that a lot of folks tend to not really consider when lamenting so much the loss of stories. Yeah, who knows? We may actually see Vader throw some force lightning uh, through his robotic arms after all now. I mean, that could now have changed as well. You know, fitting into the gap, though, I mean, while it could have worked, I think one of the upsides, though, is this allows them to break away from the flip-flop that they got with, you know, the, the way the EU got with Lucas kind of coming in and tweaking with this, giving a little bit of limited input here or there and kind of adjusting the way the story goes. It became obvious there were two different stories. And by doing this, it allows them to, to get that back un, under one. I mean, you know, I've always been, I want that break. You know, I wanted that break. I wanted it to be clear. I wanted it to be defined. Well, we got it. The only downside, though, is that the Legends one, for all intents and purposes, isn't going to be growing story-wise anytime soon, if ever. Granted, we have the Imperial Handbook coming out, but that, that to me was the, was the big downside of what we got, is that hold. Alright, sorry, I'm back, had to drain the Dianoga, or it would have become as flooded as a trash compactor up in here. <laughs> we got a coolant lake on the butler level. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Alright, uh, this will be either last or second to last here. Um, Glenn sent a couple of them, one about Vector, one about other stuff, so I don't know if we want to cover it all or not. I guess we can, but it'd be kind of a shorter response to those. All right. This one comes in from Jonathan Landau, and I must say this came in just in the nick of time, only 40 minutes before we started recording the first of these two feedback episodes, which we are recording back-to-back on the same day, by the way, uh, on the 16th of June. Jonathan says, Listening to your last podcast, you asked for some suggestions on a site to organize your book collection. For the iPad or iPhone users, there are some decent apps that I use that are either free or cheap to use. My favorite is Star Wars Book Collector that has five sections. Novels, graphic novels, young reader, other like the art books and campaign guides, and Shelf, which is just books that you've marked as owned. Once you pick a section like novels, they list books by year the book takes place in the Star Wars universe, or alphabetical order, or series, or publishing date. Next, you pick the book and the app breaks it down further into owned, wanted, not wanted, then physical copy, ebook, or audio, and then finally connects to Wikipedia for information. There is no breakdown for hardcover, softcover, variant covers, or edition. As of now, they have legends and the new books in the same novel section, and I'm not sure how they'll fix it, but they have some time to update before a new dawn comes out. A second app that I use, which is either free for the basic or $5.99 for a pro upgrade, is the Sorted Books app. This app starts empty, and users must either scan the barcode, enter the ISBN number, or search the database for your book. Once you find the book, you manually add different items like edition, narrative, hard or soft cover, and 17 other different options. The app also gives you other options like buying it on eBay, did you loan it to someone, when you bought it, and so on. Very in-depth, but also time-consuming if you have mostly all of the Star Wars books in your possession. Another negative is that the books are only listed in alphabetical order, and some books are listed by their title, an example is Heir to the Empire, while some have Star Wars first, an example is Star Wars Dark Force Rising. Not sure why this occurs, but it's frustrating when looking for a book. Thanks for the great show you guys put on, and I appreciate all the hard work that it takes. Jonathan Landau. 
Well, thanks, Jonathan, and I'm definitely going to have to check out that Star Wars book collector. That sounds fun. Even though uh, I can't differentiate hardback from paperback, that's okay. Most of my collection is in paperback, so I think I can deal with that. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go with that second app, because it seems like it has more than is really necessary, but I will definitely check out that Star Wars book collector app. Uh, I've toyed with the idea at different times of making an app for the Star Wars Timeline Gold. In fact, I put up a, a preview of what it might look like, uh, when I put it up, uh, just as a, as a picture, like a screenshot picture up on, uh, the page on Facebook for the Star Wars Timeline Gold and all. But they're just, it, there's not enough time in the day. There's so much stuff I would love to do, so many projects I'd like to do. There's no chance of being able to get to it. I just recently put from the Star Wars library on indefinite hiatus. There's just not enough time to do it. And that's one that's got to fall by the wayside, at least for now, uh, because of, of just the response that it's probably going to wind up getting with the whole Legends thing anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to check out that one. I would hope that someday we'll have one that goes into the different editions, but I'm not sure that there is such a database out there outside of the publishing house themselves, which really kind of sucks. Uh, would be very nice to be able to tell what's out there and what's not, uh, and to see comics and everything else kind of all fit into there. I mean, take The Force Unleashed 2. Aside from novels and comics, The Force Unleashed 2 had its regular version, but there was also a collector's edition with other content, different DLC, different packaging, the little uh, bonus physical items and such. It would be nice to have a database of all of that, but it may be a pipe dream at this point. And lastly, we have a pair of emails here coming in from Glenn Stein. I'm not sure if we're going to have a chance to re respond to all of them because we're getting a little bit long in the tooth here for the episode, but I wanted to make sure to get these both in here because they came back in quite a while ago and we haven't had a chance to get to them in a regular feedback episode yet. There's one on Vector and one on just other books in general. So, first off, in relation to Vector, Glenn says, Mark and Nathan, I generally agree with you on what you said about each issue of Vector, but disagree with some of your assessments on how each series met or didn't meet the goals outlined in KOTOR number 25, and even how you interpreted those goals. Prior to Vector's release, I had not bought a single issue of a Star Wars comic in years, and only a handful of trade paperbacks, most of which I hadn't read. I saw Vector as an opportunity to try out each of the four series. The result? I own two issues each of Dark Times and Rebellion, and the entire runs of KOTOR and Legacy. I initially didn't plan on rereading Vector before writing. Doing so made a much bigger impact on when I wrote this message than it did on its content. Having not read any other issues of Dark Times or Rebellion, I can't argue with your positions on if it meant something to the characters. Only I'd say that you can't really decide on Rebellion. However, I felt that all four series were accessible to new readers, goal number two. Mainly due to the introductions, the scene was set for each series. Dark Times and Rebellion were assisted by focusing on characters that were familiar to most Star Wars fans. Dark Times was peculiar in that it didn't focus on the main characters of that series. They were mainly in the background. Legacy only touches on the Imperial Knights in the introduction, but quickly explains them in the first few pages. It isn't until the second issue that the deposed Emperor is explained, but the information that is needed is given in time to understand what is happening. The way you interpreted the third goal was basically equivalent to the second goal. Rather, my interpretation is that if you don't already read all four series, can you understand Vector reading just the issues in the one, two, or three series that you do read? I think it is successful in this regard. If you skip Dark Times and or Rebellion, the story makes as much sense. There are flashbacks galore if you skipped KOTOR. If you don't read Legacy, you'll miss the conclusion, but you still have an ending in whatever series you did read, certainly better than Invasion's ending. 
In concentrating on these goals, which I would say are more justifications to the existing readers than anything else, you overlook the true purpose of a crossover, to get readers to read more series than they are already reading. This is basically the opposite of your interpretation of the third goal. Did you need to buy more issues of a series to understand what was happening in Vector? I was intrigued enough by KOTOR from hearing John Jackson Miller talk about it, and by Legacy and Nathan's Raves, to not just go back and read the prior issues, but to continue reading after the events of Vector. When it debuted, I had wanted Dark Ties to be more like what ended up being Purge, and the two issues did nothing to spark my interest. Being in the original trilogy era, I don't think anything could have sparked interest in the prior issues if it hadn't already been there. And seeing as there were no further issues, he's talking about Rebellion here, it couldn't gain new subscribers. While I don't know how it truly affected sales, I suspect it increased readership of KOTOR and Legacy and could thusly be considered a success. Keep up the good work, Glenn. Well, Glenn, I, I see what you mean with part three. Uh, you know, yeah, you definitely have an outlook that I hadn't thought about. Uh, and also true with the crossover. It did definitely work to draw into fans into series they haven't seen. Unless you were already reading KOTOR and Legacy, I don't think it's going to draw you into Dark Times or Rebellion. Which gets you to Rebellion was doomed, which I, I think, you know, if you're going to have a, a series like Vector, you don't kill one of the series you're trying to draw readers into at that series. That was kind of a bad mistake. But, you know, for more on that, go and see our uh, our Vector coverage for the rest of you Beyonders who don't know what Glenn's talking about. I would say that, yeah, there should have probably been a fourth purpose given there. I mean, they gave us the three, but nowhere in that three do they give the real explanation of why they did Vector. And it's exactly what he's saying there at the end of the email. It's to get people to buy more Star Wars comics. You know, it's supposed to be sort of this romp through four different eras, and yes, it's supposed to be impactful for each characters or each group of characters and so on, so it's supposed to be easily accessible and so on and so on, but in the end, it's a money-making venture just like anything else, just like why they would make Star Wars films that don't necessarily tie into previously existing continuity because they want to bring in as many new audience members as possible and so on and so on. So, yeah. In that sense, I think they probably succeeded. Um, I know personally quite a few people who had given up on Dark Times who picked up those issues, but they never went back and filled in any of the ones in between that they were missing. Um, but certainly, from what I'm hearing, it did get more people to be willing to give KOTOR and Legacy a try if they weren't already looking into those ears, if they thought they were too far-flung to really look into it. Um, in that sense, you got to wonder, since Dark Horse doesn't do a lot of crossovers, they do some and have done some over time, like Project Blue Sky or Black Sky, or whatever the heck it is that they're doing right now. Um, but they certainly, crossovers certainly are a huge part of what Marvel has done over the years. So you got to wonder, if Marvel starts putting out multiple Star Wars comic series, are we going to start to see things like a Marvel version of Civil War, or whatever, these massive, massive crossover events that require you to understand all of it to buy every single issue uh, as it goes along, or do something like Infinity Gauntlet. Here's a special issue, but then here's all these side issues that tie into it, and they're marked with a special little tag. So if you want to read beyond the core series like that, or Civil War, or whatever, then you can read those and get the bigger picture, all the while trying to get us to buy more comic lines, as far as and that goes. Marvel does that a lot more now. They'll have like a summer and a winter event, where it's like either 8 or 12 issues and then each of the uh, the little runs do the tie-ins to that event. And that, I, I get the frustration there because I do follow those big events and then you'll find out like, well, something critical to that event happened in this one X-Men comic that you never 
read or anything like that. And if you didn't know that in advance, you didn't have that ordered well, oh, it slipped through. And oh, well, guess what? Everybody that's reading that big summertime event, they all want that comic. So it's sold out. And you better hope to God they got a second printing because you didn't get it ordered the first time. That is very frustrating. <laughs> so th- I-, I get both sides of this one. Yeah, thank goodness for the story group. Hopefully they won't let that happen. Otherwise, we'll see characters die and then come back and die and then come back. And maybe we'll see some female character become a Red Lantern. I mean, maybe the the female character will become evil or something, like Supergirl becoming a Red Lantern recently in DC. But yeah, hopefully they'll avoid those big event-style things. Give us impactful stories that matter. Don't just glitz it up and Michael Bay it, so to speak. Um, All right, and then lastly, the second one coming in from Glenn that hits several topics. Mark and Nathan. I've been meaning to write in about several books where I've heard the author make statements that either explain or contradict comments that one of you has made about them. Uh, this should be interesting. The Clone Wars film novelization. Mark referred to some clone-centric scenes that appeared in the novel that were not in the film as deleted scenes. Having either heard or read comments from Karen Travis about writing the novelization, it's clear that these scenes were her own creation. She made reference to having done a much looser interpretation of the screenplay, having looked at it just briefly. While she may have included all the plot points, it was her decision to focus more on the battle outside the monastery. Considering her other Star Wars novels, it should have been no surprise that she added and expanded scenes with the clones, especially Rex. Death Troopers My opinion of this book is basically spot on with Nathan's review that it's a good book, but not a good Star Wars book. I also felt that the inclusion of Han and Chewie in the middle was unnecessary, but was the only thing that made it seem like a Star Wars book at all. However, I heard Joe Schreiber speak about Han and Chewie initially having had a much larger role in the book and that it was scaled down. He didn't explain how it would have worked. Perhaps it would have given the book more of a Star Wars feel, but it would also have taken away from the main characters, who, unlike Han and Chewie, had a fate that was unknown. Removing them completely would have taken out the most significant elements of Star Wars that were present in the book. Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse Nathan and many others have complained that Darth Krait is not specifically named as the Sith Stranger in the fight beyond shadows. My thinking had been that they didn't want to potentially contradict something that the legacy comic writers might have planned by explicitly putting Krait in the scene. Troy Denning explained on Star Wars Action News that the reason was much simpler. This part of the story is being told from Luke's perspective, and Luke, unlike readers of the legacy comic, had no knowledge of Darth Krait's existence, much less his appearance. X-Wing Mercy Kill Nathan criticized this book for not feeling like an X-Wing book. There's a good reason for that. In answering my question at DragonCon, Aaron Alston explained that he was initially contracted to write Imperial Commando 2. Shortly thereafter, he was asked if he would rather write another Race Squadron book and jumped at the chance. It wasn't until after he had completed the book that he was informed that it would be an X-Wing novel. This was a big problem as there were no X-Wings in the book at all. He had to go back and change vehicles to X-Wings where he could. Hopefully this information will clear up your thoughts on these books. While we're on the topic of books, why is it that Outbound Flight negates the need for Survivor's Quest, which I don't think it does, but the same is not true that Red Harvest negates Death Troopers? Looking forward to hearing your comments, Glenn. Okay, Glenn, well, I like your comments. Uh, You know, first off with the Clone Wars novelization, I do refer to it as deleted scenes, but that's mainly because, you know, I'm coming from the EU perspective. Uh, You know, if we're just looking at story group canon, yeah, everything else is just added on embellishment. Uh, but for me, I really enjoyed it. I, I liked what it did for the 501st. Uh, in that book, Rex's group, they get whittled down to just five troopers. Like, they literally held it all for Anakin. 
which gets to that ponder I often have about, you know, well, is Captain Rex actually not in charge of the 501st, but just the section that Anakin's working with and that Anakin's going out with just the smaller groups of his regiment, unlike Kenobi, who goes with the full regiment. I, I like that thought, you know, that Anakin's more of the, the soldier's man kind of thing. Uh, Death Troopers, Han and Chewie, I keep looking at that as the out. Uh, you know, you, you, you're writing the first Star Wars horror book. Uh, you, you know, you can't go too scary with it. At least, I mean, I, w- I would have loved to see him go too scary with it, but I get why they didn't. And they put Han and Chewie there for those of you that aren't into zombies stuff. So you know these characters are going to live. These are the two that you're going to put all your hopes and dreams in. You know, I'm watching Game of Thrones right now, and I don't, I can't even tell you how many times I've been back on the wrong horse on that one. I'm like, this character's going to live. Nope. This character's going to, nope. This, okay, I'm just going to watch and see what happens. You know, I'm still hoping that a certain Stark girl is going to make it all the way to the end, but I don't know. Uh, you know, so that was kind of where I saw that going with. Um, it, interesting though about Joe scaling down Han and Chewie's involvement, but again, I get why, because if you focus too much on them, it gets away from it being a horror story, because you can't really have a horror story based on characters you know are going to survive. Um, I think for me, that's part of why I enjoyed the New Jedi Order so much, because at that time, I didn't necessarily know that the big three were going to survive. I think it was about halfway through that series when Luke, uh, or Lucas threw out the decree that the big three are untouchable. Um, but Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse, uh, Krayt being named, I, I also remember seeing uh, uh, Dennings talk about that, and I think that makes sense. Um, another one like that is with uh, Drew Karpishian, uh when he had Bane and Savannah, and at the end he didn't know which one, uh, which one was in the body. You know, it, it, they left it open, and he went back and said which one that he had originally meant for it to be in the body and stuff, and kind of killed that. I always like that kind of little bit of tidbits that come forward. Uh, Mercy kill. Alston being tagged for Imperial Commando 2. Very interesting twist there. And it actually makes a lot more sense with what you get out of the book. Um, outbound Flight. I, I actually kind of disagree with Nathan. I, I like Outbound Flight. And I thought by, you know, getting the details of Outbound Flight, it actually made reading, uh, you know, the other one even better. When I got to that point, I was like, oh, okay. So this is what's going on. So it, was, it, it like made the book two books. Because now I had a whole nother perspective to read it from. The one thing about Outbound Flight that, that always got me was uh, I remember a scene where Anakin and Obi-Wan were on the boat, oh, the boat, were on the ship, and they had their samples and DNA and stuff taken as well. And they never really rolled with that ever. I was like, why did they take, oh my God, he's got Anakin's DNA before Anakin gets butchered. I was always kind of like, are they ever going to roll with that? And they never did. Um, so yeah, that was that's another one of those things that that often I think about. But yeah, I, you know, interesting things you get out of the authors' panels and stuff at conventions. Definitely something I'm looking forward to getting to a celebration and, and finally someday going to a convention as well. Yeah, shooting through these. Let's see, uh, Clone Wars film novelization. That I think that's the thing. It's it's a matter of of slippery, inaccurate terminology. Uh, a lot of times the parlance that we use as fans to refer to scenes that are in an adaptation that weren't in the original uh, film itself tends to be to refer to it as deleted scenes. I guess it should be more accurate to call it extended scenes or additional scenes. That'd be probably most accurate to say there's the G canon or T canon stuff in this novel, and then here's the C canon stuff that the authors added into it, but that would just muddy the waters a lot for those who don't accurately understand the uh, the canon levels and such. But the key thing being that what they're dealing with is scenes that existed beyond what was seen in the film that hopefully added to our understanding of what it is. But yeah, certainly deleted scenes 
is only sometimes an accurate way of putting it, like some of Padme's bits out of Revenge of the Sith that made it into the novel, for instance. It's interesting to see with Death Troopers the idea that maybe he would have made Han and Chewie bigger characters, because that certainly would have taken away some of the, the, the suspense aspect to the book. I mean, you could have taken them completely out of it and made the technology and the planets and stuff maybe a setting that became more Star Wars-y than having it be, you know, Han and Chewie being the, the touchstones. Or to have something where there's more stormtroopers or something in it than there were, that sort of thing. But, yeah, for that being their conceit of being able to say, see, it's Star Wars because these two characters are in it, at least they didn't use them more than they did. Uh, Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse, I can buy into the idea uh, that they wouldn't name him Darth Crate in there, um, in terms of Luke's perspective, because if it's third-person limited writing, it should be a narrator speaking, not the characters, but be limited to the one character's perspective. Um, what gets me about it is that shortly thereafter, at least a couple of times, when asking the writer and the editors and so forth about, hey, was that really Darth Crate? Uh, I believe it was Denning who at one point said, I don't know, before he eventually yeah. said, yeah, it's supposed to be. And that, to me, is, is where it's disingenuous. You know, if you're writing it to be them, yeah, you don't want to lock it down because it's Luke's point of view, and maybe you don't want to lock it down because of what they might do with Legacy. But you knew what you were writing when you wrote it. So tell us the truth. Even if it's just saying, well, it's meant to be crate, but there's also the possibility they may change that later, so I left it ambiguous. Say it like that. But don't tell us you don't know what the character was that you wrote. Um, as for Mercy Kill, I had not known that he was originally contacted to do Imperial Commando 2, or if I did know it, I'd forgotten over the years. Um, interesting that not, it, he, he was basically told, hey, write a book with these characters but wound up having the gears switched on him a couple of times. To be hired to write one book, and then given the okay to write something completely different, and then after writing a completely different thing, being told, oh, by the way, that'll be part of this other series we didn't bother to tell you, that was odd, and it certainly explains why that book felt the way it did. It was definitely a Wraith Squadron book, not an X-Wing book, in terms of the way that it all plays out. And it's good to know that that was not Aaron Alston in one of his last contributions to Star Wars ever, creating something that wasn't quite in line with the series title, that this was a matter of Alston doing what Alston does, which is a great, funny Wraith Squadron story that just happened to get twists and turns to the way it was marketed on the Lucasfilm, Lucasbook, Del Rey side of things rather than his own. Um, as for Outbound Flight and Survivor's Quest, I don't think the comparison to Red Harvest and Death Troopers is a fair comparison. You've got to think of why were these books written. Death Troopers is written as... A zombie story. It's not a mystery story. It's not a, gee, whatever happened to this plague? Where did this plague come from type of thing? Um, it's not a plague that has existed previously in the EU that is then trying to be expanded upon with that book. It was just a horror story. Then Red Harvest acts somewhat as an origin story for that, of where this plague really got going. But it wasn't, here's a plague, get people interested, and then years later... Um, have a story about the mystery and then have another story with the origin, it was just, here's a plague, get interested, now here's the origin story. What happened with Outbound Flight and Survivor's Quest, you have to work in the Throng trilogy into this if, the, if you're going to get a sense of why I say Survivor's Quest didn't need to exist. Because the mystery was not of what happened to Outbound Flight was not created in Survivor's Quest. The mystery of Outbound Flight was created in the Throng trilogy. So the impetus going into Survivor's Quest was, gee, what happened to Outbound Flight? 
what's the truth behind the mystery? And that's how it was promoted at the time. And then we get Survivor's Quest, which tells us a bit about what happened as Luke and Mara are figuring out what has happened. But then they eventually, instead of giving us that as a way of telling the origin, give us an origin story, so to speak, with Outbound Flight, where we see it as it happens. So having a book designed around the concept of whatever happened to Outbound Flight, when you were already going to be producing a book that was the story of Outbound Flight, makes Survivor's Quest a book that was really only necessary in the interim. It kept people interested. They wanted to know the truth behind the mystery. Now here's even more truth behind the mystery with Outbound Flight. But essentially, they're both covering what amounts to, in a sense, similar ground. Uh, at least in terms of the, the reason why they were being written and the way they were promoted out there to the audiences. That's why I would say Survivor's Quest isn't necessary. In a sense, to me, Outbound Flight and Survivor's Quest is a lot like us getting multiple novelizations, comic adaptations, book adaptations of the films. We don't need multiple ways of saying, oh, gee, what happened here? We got it already. Outbound Flight is the origin story for the mystery from the Thrawn trilogy. We don't need Survivor's Quest to basically quasi-solve that mystery Anyway, and, and both books were in the pipeline around the same time, if I remember correctly. So it just, it wasn't a necessary book. And now if you're reading them, Survivor's Quest has little to no impact on the EU outside of introducing a location that'll show up in New Jedi Order because when it comes down to it, we already know what the story was because we've read the Outbound Flight novel. Um, it was only a book that was necessary for a small gap in publishing time. Yeah, that's definitely one of those ones that if you're going to read them, you have to read them Survivor's Quest, then Outbound Flight. Otherwise, yeah, what you're saying, it's almost pointless. But see, even though I read it like that, I went back and reread Survivor's Quest with the details I knew about Outbound Flight, and it was like reading a third book. So, I mean, I think if you do it right, you can get some enjoyment out of it, but I get what you're saying, though. And that actually wraps up the emails that we have gotten leading into this episode. We did have one actually come in. Hence, probably a blooper that Marco put in of me cussing because the email program made a sound. Um, but we got another one that actually came in while we were recording. We'll take care of that in our next feedback episode because time is running short for us at the moment. Um, but that hopefully catches us up on the things that you all wanted to ask about or wanted to talk about in the time since our last regular feedback episode. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom and Stitcher, as well as iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. If you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. 
Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. They have an Audible trial that if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. That's right, a free book. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book like Razor's Edge that you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that next time we do a feedback episode, it won't be with emails going back months. Well, the odds that we'll actually have some details about Episode 7 and Jane Solo. Spanner, someone who basically, damn it. And right on your own, on your own Twitter page, that's where you'll find us, on your page, if you're marking notifications. <laughs> God, that was great. Hi, uh, hi, boo, bye, I love you, thank you. Oh, gorillas. Can you hear her crying in the background? Not anymore, no. Okay, good. Episodes, I'm, I'm right there, right? Yeah. Episodes can be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook. Episodes can be found on. Hold on, I gotta take a drink. Dude, that's the problem. Suddenly got wicked ass cotton on. Okay. Episodes can be found by using Google, you lazy bitches. Is that what you're trying to say? You just don't want to tell people where to find them? You're just like, Uh, oh, just do a search for it. That's right. Says, uh, hi Nathan, I listened to both Rebels Roundtable and your behind. Ah, damn it! Ah! Hoth weather blooding. Ah! There is no breakdown for hardcover, softcore. There is no breakdown though for soft. And he's, uh, it's missing letters and shit. And you can bet I'm gonna be cussing a lot because I have such a hard time reading right now for some damn reason. And I'm sure you're just like, ha ha, more for the bloopers. <laughs> Bastard. Alright. <laughs> oh, I have Mark spell with a C. I. But they never went back and filled in the ones that they were missing in. <laughs> Had a fate that. Hang on, I gotta take a drink. My throat is torn up. Second, I'm. S- <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm just. I'm, I'm reading so fast that I'm sucking in so much air that I'm just like, Wah! Okay. Must release pressure. <laughs> Apparently, uh, it's just all that hot air I've already got in me. Um, okay.